Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Table Manners for Robots. On today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of uh, productivity. Um, across the business landscape in South Africa, a lot has changed. As we know, we've been talking about this for many weeks. I think in particular, one of the things that we seem to be running into now as the world is trying to resume some semblance of normality, we are experiencing this need for you know, good quality productivity in the workspace because we are, in fact, in many instances, still um, you know, trying to normalize back to something. You know, is, is going back to where we were even normal anymore? You know, that's the question. So the reality is that as we try to find our feet, we want to make sure that our staff are given all the, all the tools, all the systems to ensure that they can continue working, not just business as usual, but perhaps even be, uh, uh, business beyond the usual, uh, only because the demands um, of business right now are so precise. So we need to ensure that, we, that we're not just doing things the way we did, but we're doing them even better. Once again, I'm super, super chuffed about the quality of guests that we've been able to secure for today's show. Um, really, really fantastic uh, people. I'm not going to do any justice, as always, uh, by trying to guess um, or hazard a version of their um, fantastic background. So we're just going to go right to our guests and start um, doing some intros. So we have um, our first guest, Ed from Microsoft. Do you want to go ahead and do a little bit of an intro, Ed? Yes, thank you, Karushan, and it's good to be with you this morning. So I'm Edmund Lombard. I am currently fulfilling a role at Microsoft South Africa as a Tejri Channel Manager for the business applications business, supporting mainly the SMB market or SME market. And I've been in the industry, the technology industry, for the last 13 years or so, and always been supporting mainly the SME market in South Africa. Fantastic. So, Ed, uh, not many would know this, but um, we did actually have an opportunity to work together for a very brief period. And I know that I was your favorite person ever at Microsoft. So it's, there's no need for you to say that on the show. You know, it's totally taken for granted. Um, sure. <laughs> whatever he said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> exactly. So let's <laughs> let's go to, uh, to Rack. So we have I'm very pleased to say we have uh, the chief executive of Westcon. And of course, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about Westcon, but uh, but Rack, let's just uh, give you the opportunity to first of all introduce yourself. Welcome. Thanks, Krishan. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be be part of this today. Um, so yeah, I'm Rakesh Prabhu. I'm the CEO for Westcon Comstore in Sub-Saharan Africa. So I look after that region. Um, I've been with Westcon now for just over three years. Uh, prior to that, I was um, 20 years at a uh, a systems integrator, one of the large systems integrators in the country, uh, looked after emerging markets. Uh, I was even a CIO for them for a while. So I've done quite a few very diverse different roles. Uh, been in the industry sort of, uh, you know, coming just on 25 years, I think. Uh, it doesn't feel like that. It's gone a lot quicker than I, than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can, I can testify to a few decades uh, rolling by myself. Um, so, Rack, interesting that you were also a CIO 
So you know what it's like to, well now, Chief Executive, Westcon Comstore, which means that you are um, distribute, uh, distributing uh, technology in a, in a high value format across Sub-Saharan Africa. You are also a CIO, so you're also on the, um, on the receiving end of services. So what, what, what's, that, what's that transition been like? Um, you know, a fairly easy one for me because I've enjoyed, you know, I've always been in IT. So it's just been doing different things in IT. So I've been in the sales side, positioning solutions to customers directly. You know, I've been a, I've been a salesperson and account manager for many years. Um, being a CIO was probably one of the most interesting roles and, and enjoyable roles because it was, you know, really getting to see the the outcomes of someone trying to sell something to you and then trying to figure out how to make sure that, that was adding value to the organization. So I loved it. Um, but I still love being the CEO of the organization uh, of Westcon as well. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, to me, having the ability to look at all aspects of a business uh, has always been where my passion is. Okay, so Rak, now, now this is the part where you have to make a tough call. Which is harder, buying technology or selling technology? Cool. Um, I, I think buying technology um, because... You're making that investment, right? Selling technology, you've got something you you need to sell. You know, you've got a portfolio of products or services. But if you're um, if you're buying technology, you've got to make sure that it really works, that it adds the value. You know, and and generally, technology investments are not small ones. Um, they're usually fairly big, and they you know they've got to add some value to the organization or business of any size. So I think that's possibly the the the, the bigger uh, challenge in my view is to to make sure you really get the value. You know. That's not just on the uh, the presentation slide at the beginning. Right, and right. Able to extract. So, so it's really that uh, that buying technology point is is really where the rubber hits the road. It's not just that, um, for lack of a better term, the vaporware that shows up on those wonderful PowerPoint slides uh, early on in the engagement. Great stuff. So, ladies and gentlemen, just as a quick uh, reminder to all of you who are listening, um, remember that this show is incredibly interactive. That's really one of the things that our audiences love about uh, Table Manners for Robots. It's uh, the fact that you have the opportunity to interact directly with our expert guests at any given point. Uh, please share your thoughts and uh, comments in the Q&A box. I will only be responding to the Q&A box, not the chat box. So if you would like to have your question heard and responded to, please feel free to drop in your comment or question into the Q&A box. All right, so let's get straight into the discussion here. So Rack, I'm very curious to get your view on or your take on the situation in South Africa right now. What are your thoughts? Um. Karishan, I'll, I'll steer away from uh, from politics and, and and I suppose you know just the, the the negative news. But I think you know, let's be honest, our economy has been in a bit of a uh, challenging situation for some time now, um, and COVID has really exacerbated that problem. You don't have to look too far to see the statistics, you know, and and the contraction in the economy, the the unemployment rates. So it's a tough time out there. I think I think it is, and I think it's going to be tougher. For some time to come, um, you know, talking to customers of ours, um, you know, everyone's experiencing the same thing, and some industries have really been hit extremely hard, you know, to the point of almost being, you know, closed down completely. Um, that's it. I think, you know, there's always a silver lining. Um, there's a lot um, of innovation that's happening out there. There's, you know, in, you know, not every business and industry is impacted in the same way, and some have actually seen growth. Uh, others are seeing an opportunity to innovate, um, to do things differently. Um, and I think that's that's the positive side. So I think as South Africans, we're generally pretty resilient. 
Um, and despite the fact that we have some tough times and, and, and for the foreseeable future, I think people are still looking out there, you know, for, for things to do and do differently and, and to try and make a difference and, and, and grow the economy again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a nice, um, honest uh, take on, on, on the situation right now. You know, we can veer off into the deeply negative and we can also veer off into the sunrise of the uh, impossibly positive. But I think that that's a, that's a very decent, realistic view on things. Um, so, Ed, let's just uh, jump over to you for a second here. You know, let's be honest, you're from Microsoft and there's a very strong narrative right now in the market regarding remote work. You know, Microsoft has been talking about the work, uh, the, you know, the workplace of the future uh, for a while now. And then obviously a lot of that got expedited through the COVID experience. Now, Beyond just the usuals, uh, in terms of this uh, dialogue or narrative around um, remote work, what are some of those unspoken points? Yeah, thanks, Karush. And I think absolutely, it's it's almost feels now because it's been for a couple of months that it's been the norm, you know, where everyone just interacts, you know, in this what we would probably refer to as somewhat of a hybrid future of a workplace perspective, which is partly work from home, you know, in the office. And, and of course, the questions that are being asked and interrogated is with regards to the effectiveness of that. And at the same time, at the individual and personal level, you know, the work-life balance. I think one of the things that has become clear in this almost forced work-from-home experience is that work-life balance has not uh, been positively affected. A lot of people find that they work longer hours and, and as a result, you know, that obviously brings upon fatigue, et cetera. So it's quite interesting to see how different businesses are responding to this, both to, you know, serve their employees, but at the same time that, you know, these uh, individuals are finding better ways, you know, to to manage all these different aspects. Um, I I think we've all gone through a journey, you know, from, from one extreme to the next. I, I remember the first week that I was uh, working from home I, I literally had to move to my vehicle and work from there to avoid the, the, the family noise that was happening. So I think we've all adapted to an extent, um, but I think what what's going to happen going forward is really going to shape um, the effectiveness right, of employees and how businesses can take advantage of, of, of really working remotely with the employees, but at the same time, um, you know, improving, I guess, you know, business and, you know, how we, we go to market. All right. So, Ed, um, that sounds like working from car, not quite working from home, or unless it's the same thing. Uh, is that Does it have anything to do with the fact that you're now a, a dad of two kids? Well, it, it has to do with that uh, because, you know, two kids can make more noise than just one. <laughs> but yes, when I was referring to the hybrid workplace, it's not just working in the office and, and, and home, but also in your vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's great. Okay, so um, before we move off, um, let's just keep talking about this for a second. Um, so let's get deeper into the subject of productivity. So we have mentioned that, you know, it's not really just about the format of work. It's really about making sure that people are able to produce their best and do their best work. And that's what we what we're going to call uh, productivity for just ease of reference. So how has productivity changed in today's world, Ed? Yeah, I think one of the things that hasn't changed during this whole process that we, you know, have gone through and find ourselves in is the fact that productivity is still required. Um, you know, that, that's uh, required from 
the individuals from the business to obviously do what they need to do. And the way that we've always been thinking about this, at least from a Microsoft perspective, is around digital transformation. And I think there's four key pillars that we've always positioned in terms of this to just how people categorize how they can think about productivity. And, and the first is, of course, how do you empower employees? You know, how do you make sure that the people that work for you, that you can get, of course, the most out of them, but at the same time, empower them with the necessary tools. And that moves on to the processes. So that's, you know, basically uh, moving to operations. And how do I make sure that I can connect these people to processes and make sure that I get uh, the best from a productivity standpoint on that? And then, of course, any business where the services or product orientated needs to think about that business model. And, uh, you know, we can probably talk about that a bit more. But, of course, you know, if we think about that service offering, that business model that's been built around that, how do we transform that uh, to, again, you know, to your point, Kurushan, speak to that pro productivity aspect? So those are really just a couple of things for people to hang their thoughts around when they think through through these items. And, and the fourth would be, how do we engage our, our customers, right? Because that has fundamentally changed because we now have to interact not only with internal people remotely, but we have to do the same with our customers. Uh, and usually, you know, if it's a, a service, of course, it could be affected by it. If it's a product, it's affected by it. The, the, the delivery mechanism, the supply chain looks different. So, we have to think about how are we transforming all these different areas of the business uh, to basically assist with productivity. So I think those four areas for me are the key ones that we need to think about. Mm -hmm. Very interesting summary of those four points. You know, and I think that um, in terms of context, the reality is that a lot of people just from a day-to-day -day perspective, the day-to-day -day experience of work, obviously that's changed with the way in which people are structuring their work days now. You know, you know, there's probably in between handling something to do with the kid, there's, you know, doing some email, and then there's getting on the phone. And, you know, it's just that the workday, the format has fundamentally changed. And in a lot of instances, you know, there are people who continue to say that um, they, are, they find themselves working longer hours and working harder today than they have uh, before. So it's an interesting dynamic, it's an interesting uh, change, this concept of of productivity and how it shows up in today's format of work. Um, a reminder to our audience, um, fantastic to have uh, a great attendance today. And I would like to invite you all to participate in the conversation by sending through your questions on the Q&A box. I will receive um, uh, every single question directly and I'll make sure that I um, incorporate your point into the conversation. Um, so, Ed, you know, on the four points that you mentioned and in the broader context, um, do you think that this is necessarily a big business problem or is this a small business problem? No, I would say that everyone's been affected by this and, of course, everyone experienced it differently. And, and how to respond to it is, of course, you know, the question here. And I think in many cases, we think at least what we see is that you know, bigger businesses in some cases are a bit more resilient. You know, they can they can take more um, more on, as it were, in terms of that. But then, if we think about change and changing processes and just being more agile, then SMEs have the ability to maybe do that in a much better way. So the effect has definitely been across the board. But different entities need to think about how they can respond to this. And I think that's really going to be the key for me. 
around you know the response to it because of course we know this is the nature of business the nature of business is that we will face problems and generally when these come along the, the they sometimes like a mechanism that help us to respond uh, you know in some cases we would maybe be mediocre about a particular change that we need to make but this will enforce that you know to to a large extent so it's helped i think biz big business to a large extent you know from the productivity standpoint which we've addressed but then small business of course have had to make certain changes and i think what we'll see as a result of that is the spark of innovation so the silver lining that i think rack addressed earlier is really where we can see innovation that will come off as a result of this and and hopefully that will also assist in the economy uh, in the short and medium term Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting uh, summary of that. And I think that, you know, just to maybe um, zoom into one or two of those points, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that right now, small businesses are facing much of the same rigor or pressure that a big business typically would in terms of being more precise down to measuring, you know, profit margins down to a T and really understanding the, the impact of changes to input costs and, you know, really running that business and, and the, the operations of the business has become so onerous and so demanding at this point because we don't have that much play in the system anymore. And it's an interesting thing that small businesses are tending to face as much of that pressure as large businesses. But um, by the same token, we also have the availability of systems and tools today that are available to small businesses in a capacity or in a format that small businesses can afford that, you know, are of the same quality and scalability as big businesses. So it's, it's, it's an interesting time. The demands are similar and, um, and the availability of solutions are equally similar. Um, so, so the divide between the small and the big, it's starting to blur out. And that's just my, my view on things. Um, you know, it's not necessarily exact but it's just a high level view um so rack let's let's talk to you here for the next one you know the the, the concept of um remote work as we've gone over i mean it sounds great it's always sounded great and and you know to go back maybe to your point about you know that uh, marketing pitch the marketing pitch is always going to sound great but perhaps to maybe look at it slightly with the cio viewpoint you know um uh, with that cio hat you know we, we, you know we we do have a situation right now where you know, HR execs are doing some interesting things with staff employee data, you know, from their kitchen tables. We have financial controllers accessing bank accounts from, you know, from living rooms. Um, you know, what what are the challenges in this environment and what are the opportunities? So thanks, Christian. And, you know, I, I think the reality is that that's it's not new. But what all this remote working and, and COVID is just sort of compounded the challenge, okay? Because, you know, most of us have probably had laptops and have been working from home in the evening. So we might've been in the office all day, but there's still something you've got to do in the evening. And that would have involved sensitive data, but you'd have been doing it from your house. The only difference now is that everybody's doing it from the house all day long or wherever they are sitting remotely. So so that I don't think the, the, the challenge has really changed. I think it's just compounded in that, you know, security has become even more of a forefront, but particularly in user security, um, you know, in a company's environment. Are they, you know, we, we sought, um, you know, the requirements for, for VPN solutions absolutely skyrocketed in February and March uh, when COVID started happening, you know, and the lockdown started happening around the world. And we saw that in the industry where there was a huge focus on end user security that and headsets, you know, and, and laptops were kind of the, the major things that almost exploded because people needed to be able to work remotely. 
So the, the challenge is there. The, the opportunity is that it's making sure that people um, and organizations look at security holistically. I think not just how secure is the office environment and all of the access control and how do we make sure that all the data is kept well secured in the office. When there isn't an office environment, you know, that that's something that, that changes that. And I think the opportunity there for a lot of organizations now is to make sure they can help and consult to end customers um, around how to, to properly look at some of those solutions. Um, and maybe touching on the, the point that you and Ed were discussing around big or small businesses, I suppose the same problem exists no matter on the size of the business. And as you mentioned, Christian, the, the solutions are available now almost to, to all types of organizations. So the one thing I also think that COVID's done is it's also been a, uh, it's a leveler. You know, it's allowing small businesses to compete against large businesses because everybody's kind of in the same boat. Um, and it really is about the tools and the, the um, uh, you know, the platforms that people have available to them that's really then allows them to be able to compete on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So, um, Rack, um, we've got some comments and questions coming through, so we're going to keep you in the hot seat for a second here. Uh, firstly, a comment sure. uh, from our Facebook live feed. Uh, this comes from Varushna Gaunda. And uh, Varushna says, I'm loving this work from home system, loving the kids contributing uh, to the chaos and the homeschooling and cooking all at once. Sounds like quite a quite an interesting affair there. Um, um, there's a there's another comment from Germany uh, from Jeremy. Sorry, um, this says just a side comment. Thank you to enterprises such as Microsoft and Google for providing free access to small business and certain business apps such as Microsoft Office and Microsoft Teams for free. So Ed, you can relay that back to uh, to Microsoft. And then let's go to a question here from from Daniel and uh, um, Rack. I'm going to direct this question over to you. Even if COVID, even if the COVID pandemic completely disappears at some point, is it likely that the new normal in terms of the workplace will persist? Um, So I suppose I think the answer probably lies somewhere in between because the new normal is everybody at home and a lot of offices completely closed to allowing employees to come into the office or some where it's on a very small basis. I think the, the 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 ultimate normal. I don't know what the right word is. Can't be the new new normal, but <laughs> it's going to be around a, a hybrid solution of the two. I think many organisations uh, in the past, you know, some of the big global organisations have been very comfortable to allow the people to work from anywhere. Some South African organisations have really been wanting to see you clock in and out every day, even if you're desk bound and you're not in a factory environment or anything like that. They want to see you there at eight and till five and very strict around the rules and the times. And if you've got a sick child, you've got to take half a day off to, or a day off to, you know, to take them to the doctor. I think that's what's going to change in, in a lot of people's minds is that you can say, today I'm going to be working from home and people can trust that you will be productive. If the organization has put in place the stuff that they generally probably would have had to do now anyway, um, you know, you can deal with personal issues sometimes in office hours and you can still be productive and deliver an output in the time frame that's needed within that day everyone's had to adapt to this when the schools were closed you know people had to just look after they had to educate their kids as well 
during the day, as well as deal with work environments. There was a lot of pressure. And Edmund, you talked to, you know, that stress of people thinking they, you know, and believing they were working actually a lot harder. And I think they were because they were having to cope with so many things. Um, but I think as the organizational mindset is what will change is that, you know, it's trust. I think perhaps the view was we couldn't trust people if we can't see them. You know, that, that it's very old fashioned, but I think that's was generally how a lot of organizations still behave. Um, you know, particularly in South Africa. Um, and I think that's changed. I think we believe we can trust people to, to deliver and therefore there'll be much more flexibility around personal things that need to be done sometimes in a work day or, or working hours. All right. That answers the question. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think I think it's, you know, it's an interesting one to start speculating on. And I think uh, what you've shared is, is an incredibly valid perspective. Um, so for the folks who are listening, um, feel free to submit your questions, your comments. It's great to see uh, comments and questions coming uh, from uh, across all of our platforms. So whether you're listening on YouTube, on Periscope, on Facebook, uh, perhaps even um, within the webinar itself, uh, feel free to submit your questions or your comments. If you do it on social, you just have to post the comment or the question. If you're on the webinar, just go to the Q&A box and uh, type in your question and I will, I will take up your question directly. Okay, fantastic. Now, I'm very keen to get into this next question because I'm all about seeing opportunity and creating opportunity for people, no matter their current profession. You know, the concept of a side hustle became very big uh, during this entire COVID pandemic period. A lot of people had to start uh, taking a side hustle and make it the main hustle, you know. Um, this has been the nature of what's happened over the last few months. It's given us a very different viewpoint of work in general, how we make money, how we earn an income, what do we rely on? This COVID period has been a big game changer. So let's talk to Ed for a second here and let's dive deep on the subject of opportunities. What are the opportunities for resellers and customers, Ed? Sure, yeah. And I just want to touch on that point, Karushan, around learning new skills. I think that was the reality for, for many of us. Um, and I think, you know, that speaks to the innovation that I alluded to earlier. And I think for me, if, if I had to put myself in the customer's shoes, I would think about this scenario as how, how can I innovate, right? Um, I, I like the quote of our CEO who has said that every company is a technology company. And, and I would like to think that every customer thinks of themselves as, as that, as not how they can just utilize technology you know, to, as a means to an end, but rather to build their businesses on technology to take advantage of the platforms that are available to them to then meet these demands that, you know, they need to meet in, in this new world or the new, new world, um, as, as we say. And then I think, you know, if we just think about the context of, of resellers, as you've said, you know, as, as someone who is reselling technology or thinking about, um, you know, maybe a better term would be a partner of technology. This is really an opportunity for them, you know, on, on that point that we just made around how, how do we learn new things to really take advantage of building new business models to really turn to new solutions that they could potentially provide to the market. Because the reality is the market is, is changing to a large extent. And so the requirements have changed. And I think there is a large opportunity now for resellers to really become industry and technology specialists in these various uh, fields and then to take advantage of that skill that they build within the organization, build a business model around that and obviously go to market to meet these customer demands. So I would say the opportunities 
um, are definitely there. Uh, I think Rack made the point earlier that South Africans are resilient. I, I believe that. And I think, you know, we can look at the context that's in front of us and say, well, surely they, we, we can uncover these opportunities. And then from a partner perspective, really come alongside these customers that really need technology to move them forward and, and assist them in the best way that we can. Mm, very interesting. And I love the fact that you brought in the quote there uh, by Satya about, um, you know, every company is a technology company. And I mean, even if you rewind back to the days of Steve Ballmer back in the day, you know, there was also the concept of, you know, developers, 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 developers. I'm not sure whether everyone remembers that video. It's an old video now, but you can still find it on YouTube. Very much that was the message that was punted, you know, in the, into the future, we're going to have to have that strong technology competence. And I think just to make it practical for the purposes of today's conversation, I think the one point I personally want to stress as someone who also has emerged, you know, I, I've come from the Microsoft um, world. I'm still very much part of the Microsoft ecosystem. And I can tell you that for me, the most um, tangible thing that's available to us today is the fact that there's all these programs that allow us to become involved in either the sale or the delivery of software in some way. And because there's so much support now with this, with this whole cloud format of computing, there's so much support, there's so much help, there's very little burden that's left for the reseller to, to undertake entirely on his own, you know. So if you do have you know, any kind of idea or thought about expanding your, your practice, no matter what your business might be, you know, you could be you could be a design agency, and you might want to incorporate some level of technology service to your client, and you might decide to bring to bear some format or some platform of technology that you want to take to your client base. And, and if you if you are in that kind of business service oriented business, and if you want to expand your portfolio of solutions, what a great time it is today to start incorporating as many technology-based services as possible into your product offering because it's, just, it's become so easy to deliver because theoretically, you're not actually delivering anything. The thing that you are, the value that you're bringing is you're connecting the dots between the main um, technology vendor and, 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 the end, and the end customer from a relationship point of view. All right. All right. So let's go to Rakia for a second. So on that point, uh, Rak, why? I mean, aside from the, you know, the, the tremendously obvious here, why is it insufficient to simply rely on these older technology platforms that we see very prevalent across, um, you know, mainly South Africa today? Why is it insufficient to just rely on these technologies and platforms? Well, I think, you know, probably one of the best examples is probably email, right? It's not, it's an old technology, right? We, we still can't live without it. We're, we're all sending emails every day. And that's how, you know, we do a lot of work. Um, but the thing about it is that if you're now all in disparate locations and everyone is remote, um, you need to be able to drive at least some level of consistency in terms of, um, you know, output and performance and, and delivering a service to customers, right? Whatever, whatever that is. And so you can't just run everything on email where you send a message and believe your job is done and therefore hope that somebody's going to pick it up on the other side, know what you've said to them and, and action it. You know, the reality is that you need things like workflow. Um, you need, you know, workflow integrated into all of your platforms so that, you know, you can you can drive a process end to end, but also measure that it's being done. You can pick up where there may be bottlenecks or problems or inefficiencies, um, and you can hopefully drive something that delivers a very positive customer experience at the end. And that, you know, that that you can't just rely on sort of traditional communications. And I suppose... In an office environment, and especially if people were together, a lot of that might happen through just 
personal interaction, you know, talking to each other and teams sitting close to each other. And, you know, I think what's happened now is, you, you know, no, no one person can own a process from end to end. There's always got to be multiple people. Generally, people look for efficiencies and try and reduce the number of handles, but there are going to be handles. So you need things like, um, you know, modern technologies and platforms that have a familiar interface for the users, but allow them to pick up and take on the urgent things, deliver them and, and feedback. Um, maybe another example was, you know, uh, when you asked me the question earlier around, you know, the security challenges of people working from home and what does that mean is also, you know, having audit trails, having those built into platforms uh, today that allow you to then, if something does go wrong, be able to go back and see what actually happened, figure it out, you know, and try and resolve it. And and a lot of the, you know, the, the old traditional ways of doing business haven't had those built in. And I think if we're going to be a lot more remote and a lot more um, disconnected to some degree physically, you need technology to play a part in helping address that, those gaps. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like what you say there about, um, you know, the concept of, uh, you know, having audit trails, because I think that uh, in the past, when in the earlier days of software sales, when we mentioned things like audit trails, it was almost like something that was a nice to have. But I think at this stage, taking into account the remote nature of work, you know, traceability, you know, being able to monitor a process, see where something went awry and, and the ability to be precise about it is so critical in today's world, especially if you look at the federated uh, style of working as we've been over a few times. And I think that, um, you know, I, you know, I want to, I want to keep um, going for a bit on this, on the subject of uh, all the technologies and platforms. And you mentioned email, and I think that that's how we grew up, and that's 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 kind of the world that we live in today. And and you know, we're very accustomed to it. But we also have to look at some of the perhaps the more human aspects. You know, uh, email was very suitable in an environment where perhaps you know you were surrounded by the people who could remind you of a few things that you might have forgotten or that might have slipped your mind. And when you walk in the office, you go, Ah, oh, you know, I must remember to send that email to Sally. Um, and I think that we do need systems that are a little bit more workflow driven so that it's not just dependent on us uh, seeing someone to uh, trigger a thought or an action or an idea. And these are small things. And I mean, I, you know, it sounds so subtle, but but there is that humanity factor that we have to account for. You know, people, uh, you know, the, the namesake of the show, people aren't robots. And um, we have to account for that. Um, so, Rack, I know I'm, I'm overdoing this point. So, so let's 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 go right into this next point about um, integrated uh, systems. So, you, you made a very good point about the audit trails, etc. So, why are these integrated productivity pro- productivity platforms so critical today? Um, well, I think you know you need everything integrated if you're going to provide ultimately a good customer experience. Um, you know. The, the the challenge is, you know, most most organisations you have to quote something. You have to uh, maybe uh, you know go put it through your ERP system to actually uh, schedule it. Maybe there's a service scheduling tool that uh, you know makes sure that somebody uh, actions something. And there's obviously invoicing step. You know, the general simple processes of business of quote to cash. Um, if they're all federated, um, it means. Either individual people have to pass it on to somebody else to deal with a problem, or you have to log into multiple systems to try and figure out uh, an overall issue. Because uh, take an example of a customer says, "Well, I didn't get my order. What happened? You know, where where was it? Was it um, was it actually placed? Uh, was it um, is it stuck? Was there a lack of inventory? What, whatever the the scenario might be, you want to be able to provide the person who's got to respond to that." 
the ability to look across that entire supply chain and be able to figure out where the problem is and not have to log into multiple different systems to try and do that. Mm. So the integration of systems, firstly, is extremely important for customer experience, but also then for, for the users on your own side. You know, if there's something that if the, if the ERP system looks as familiar to them as their mail system, which is the same as the CRM system, and it's all coming together in one very familiar type of interface, it also makes their job easier. Um, you don't have to be retrained on multiple different technologies or interfaces, you know, to be able to actually use them. So, you know, I think that it's it's almost essential. And then you're able to provide these to the people who need it on a remote basis that they can, you know, they can connect into it and don't have to be in a certain location. It, it That's what's going to make a business efficient. That's what makes a business nimble. Yeah. And, you know, back to that earlier question around big or small businesses, it doesn't matter. The same technologies are there for small businesses today as there are for big businesses to be able to do this with a few people or thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very uh, important. I, I would call that the crescendo moment of today's conversation. Uh, super important point that I think that if we really look at what um, employees perhaps went off, um, you know, the, especially the, the information workers, information workers would be more the administrative people inside the company. When those people went off and when they were doing work from home, initially it was all about the productivity suite. So we had Microsoft Office and we had the usual stack. Uh, going into the future, the demands are a little bit uh, greater and we do need to start incorporating some of the more business application workflow, like things like being able uh, to track our inventory without going into this big mammoth system that is sitting on site at the office, being able to just track inventory, uh, to be able to, uh, to track the job cards, the, the ability to be able to see what another employee might be doing based on their interactions with the customer. You know, all of that should be to the greatest extent possible integrated into the same system allowing people to produce to the to their best capacity we don't have, want to have a situation where you constantly have to phone joe every time you want to find out something about a stock code and you don't want to have to necessarily now get into a meeting and book a meeting with three other people just to see a basic report on what marketing went out over the last month to the greatest extent possible going into the same productivity use uh, suite that we've always, that we've grown up in, that we feel, you know, super um, uh, comfortable in, we should be able to, within that same suite, experience all of these functions and, um, and, and, and facilities. So I love that uh, point. Uh, a note to all of our um, audience, guys, We've covered a whole bunch of topics here. You know, we've it's been very broad ranging. So feel free beyond just putting your, your questions and comments in. I, I see them coming through. I'm going to take up a few now. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, you may want to engage with our speakers. You may want to engage with us a little bit more beyond this event. Go ahead and click the link, complete your survey, and make a request for some kind of follow-up. You, you may not feel comfortable to do so on this particular show. That's totally acceptable. You may have a few questions. Uh, we talked about even possibly becoming a reseller of technology despite what your business currently does because it's so easy right now to sign up and deliver a technology solution without necessarily having to be an, an, a pure technology provider. You could go ahead and do that with the greatest ease and you may want to have uh, some degree of follow-up on that. If you do, make sure you log your question uh, or you make that known in your survey. There will be a link that's provided in the um, Q&A box, um, sorry, in the chat box. Uh, go ahead, click that link and make your request known. Any kind of follow-up, any kind of further discussion that you'd like to have, 
make that known in the in the survey it's very very important that you complete the survey that's the the biggest way or the most important way for us to learn what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong so go ahead and complete that survey it's super cr critical to us let's go back to the conversation here i got some interesting um feedback coming through so um sunita says Working from home has its pros and cons for me, all pros, but I find with staff there are some cons. Immediate responses to mails are problematic, which generally needs to be followed up by a call. The only thing is how we measure staff productivity. I believe there are tools. However, for a small business, this is going to cost. Sunita, I think this is a fantastic point because it, you, you're raising a whole bunch of things, perhaps without even realizing it. Um, the first one is that your point about email and, and the fact that the email now needs to be followed up by a phone call is a very important point. And that's why we, we even inside the dialogue, we are stressing the importance of workflow because workflow isn't email. Email is just another mail in the mailbox. Workflow is requiring that a step is completed by a certain deadline. And when it's completed systematically, that triggers the next step in the process. And if it's, if it's not completed, it triggers an alert. And, and, and I think that we need to start thinking along the lines of um, more workflow and less email slash phone call, uh, because that's the old way of work. All right. And, and in, in terms of the small business point, and this is going to cost. Yeah, sure, it's going to cost because anything that's going to be of value add that's going to make you money should cost you some money. You know, it's just the nature of the beast. But the, but the key thing here is that is it affordable? Is it a worthy investment in terms of what you spend versus what you make? And absolutely, the format of purchasing today from a cloud perspective is um, very affordable for small businesses because you, you're paying these small incremental costs. We've moved away from this you know, heavy capital in, in investment in technology. So it's these incremental costs. So as your business is making money and getting value from the technology, you are getting, um, you are able to, um, you know, pay more and more and more over time, perhaps as your system and your needs grow. So I definitely think very, very important points. Sikalela uh, uh, responds to Sunita here online and says the following, is staff productivity not measured on the work being done by the due date? And in terms of immediate responses to emails, I think people should just be mindful to regularly check their devices because of the new virtual system. Then again, I could be biased because I am a student and it is imperative to check our emails regularly for updates. But I think the culture is important for even workers. I mean, Sikalela, very honorable message there. Uh, bless you for that, my friend. The reality is that in the world of work, you get this factor called humanity. And we are dealing with human beings. And the truth is that in the world of hum human beings, where there's demands and there's pressures and there's all sorts of things going on for a lot of people, it isn't always the case that people are going to be perfectly consistent on absolutely every little thing. So th these are great points that are coming out. Uh, great discussion. Um, bits. I mean, I can see now Sunita has responded to Sikalela. So I'm not. I'm going to stay away from that thread for a little bit because it's 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 all consuming at this stage. It's very exciting for me. Um, and then we have, um, we have a question here that's come through on the Q&A box. <clears throat> it says, I just want to find out the best way to balance working from home and keeping your productivity up while not overworking yourself. Rack, do you want to take a stab at that? No, um, I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that because I think I must say I struggled at the beginning, right? You know, I'd suddenly uh, um, find myself... Uh, at you know at the desk before eight and and leaving after seven and sort of not sure what happened throughout the day. Uh, I'll tell you maybe some things that I suppose I've learned at the beginning is you know you you 
when I my normal day involved a 45 minute drive to the office, right? So in that time, listening to the radio or listening to some music, and that that was time to myself. Now the journey is about five meters from my bedroom to my desk, and uh, that that time is went away very quickly. And you immediately started working. People also see your diary is open. There's a slot there. They know where you are, so they just book it, right? And what happens is your day just ends up going from one meeting to another where you are asking for forgiveness or apologies to go to the bathroom in between <laughs> two meetings or, you know, to try and grab something to drink. Um, so first thing I learned, stop blocking out time in the diary. Uh, try to try to keep meetings to 45 minutes, if not an hour, you know, so – so just give yourself those little bit of breaks. Because when I was in the office, I'd, I'd walk the floors, I'd walk up and down the stairs, go see different people. There was a lot of that different movement. And now it just seems to be as if you were having back-to-back meetings. Um, and I think you need to also, you know, there were people who were setting up meetings with me sometimes at sort of seven or eight o'clock at night. And, and originally I was accepting. Now I'm just a push back. You know, why can't we do this in office hours? I think you have to build some boundaries as well you know around work otherwise you you you're not uh, what was the, the the thing it's not working from home and you're sleeping at work mm, mm. and that's what ends up happening is that your home environment just becomes work uh, so i think you've got to you've got to consciously do some things to manage your diary and your day that allows you to have that that those breaks that are desperately needed because nobody can work that long full out for that for that amount of time you will end up burning out it's absolutely mm-hmm. natural and i think that um rack I, I personally feel like you deserve an award for that speech <laughs> you deserve an award for that answer because i i bet there's a whole bunch of people as you're speaking they're just feeling relieved because they're like oh my goodness he's speaking truth he comes he comes you're speaking the word you know like like give give this man a bell because even as you were speaking i mean inside the office here we have we were having a bit of a laugh because it's like so true you know even having to ask for permission to go to the restroom that's become a thing you know um and i think that um yeah i really enjoy that because it's so true and these are some of the the human concepts or or aspects and i think we're all learning to deal with them and none we don't speak about this enough because 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 that answer we, we definitely don't hear enough about online you know in all of these webinars and all of that so that's fantastic so thanks for that for really shedding light on some of the realities sure all right, Ed, we have, a, we have not forgotten about you, my dear friend. Tell us, <clears throat> in this new SaaS world of Microsoft, what is the role of the, of the partner, the reseller? Yeah, it's an important point. And you know, the software as a service platforms has changed quite a bit. And I think maybe to, to answer the question, you first need to look at the value that it provides for the customer. You know, over the years, when you went to a customer and you told him about deploying possible technology, the customer is interested about getting to the value point as soon as possible. That uh, they were never really interested in all the dependencies underneath the technology. They want to get the return on investment as quick as they possibly want, uh, as they needed to. And so, I think software as a service has allowed this. And I think the point has been well made that not only for large enterprises, but also for everyone now. And and that's what's changed over the years. Now, from a reseller perspective, and again, I I think the term is better suited as a partner, as I said earlier, because now it comes down to, well, I've built a business model around 
basically deploying all these dependencies that the technology was dependent upon. And that was my business model. So how do I now transform and move a business model where there might not be an opportunity for me to actually derive an income, you know, from, from that old business model. And because it is so closely connected to the value point with software as a service now, that is really where partners can really speak to the value points inside of organizations. That's why earlier I made the point around that they need to have industry-specific expertise because a partner is going to come to a customer and their value is going to be deploying best practices in an industry for particular technology as quick as possible. And I think the other thing then that comes to mind is user adoption because a customer wants users within the organization to adopt this technology that they're paying for as quick as possible. And a partner is going to make that possible through that adoption process. And so we talk about user adoption. We talk about change management of how quickly we can transform organizations or different parts of the business to adopt this technology at the scale that the technology allows us to. And I think the other point that needs to be made around software as a service is that technology companies can now bring innovation in those products in a much more agile and quicker way. I mean, the amount of changes that's happening within these technology stacks is just impossible to keep up with. I mean, even for us that's in the sector, we just can't keep up with all the changes that are actually happening. And customers can basically take advantage of that on a software as a service platform. So there is more than enough work for partners to actually do now to help customers to realize that value in the in these stacks. A lot more work than what a project orientated organization would normally just deploy technology and you know the customer would use it over a couple of years there is so much more opportunities for resellers and partners today to take advantage of helping customers and you're really going to become a trusted advisor to the customer because you're deploying new technology and you're helping that customer to get a return on it, on the investment almost immediately and the added benefit of course of software as a service is that the customer can move away from a capex model they can literally move to opex model and so they'll see the return almost straight away i think this is one of the fundamental things that microsoft has changed with all the technology whether we talk business applications or productivity suites it's that everything has been made modular and customers can really pick from a, a whole list of available products and deploy that systematically through these partners that have industry expertise all right. Very good insight there. And I liked, um, I mean, obviously you gave us a lot of good data. The, the, the concept of realizing value for the customer in your, in, in your answer, I really love that because it, it, it got me to pause and think that's actually what a partner and reseller has to do now. I mean, if you really think about it, back in the day when uh, we did full larger scale deployments, we would have to go and do a lot of setup work at the client. We'd have to go and physically, you know, ensure that the infrastructure, the platform is in place. Now that's done because the infrastructure is sitting in the cloud and all of the management associated with that is sitting in the cloud. So then, you know, the, the biggest job right now for a, a reseller or a technology advisor or a partner, whatever you want to call it, 
is, is, is realizing value. It's like bringing value to bear for the customer. And then that could come down to, like you said, industry value. And there could also just be, you know, just understanding the technology and what value sits in that technology and helping the, the client unlock that value is in itself a full-time job. I mean, you know, I, I know we're talking about, um, you know, all sorts of products and platforms here. But if you take any one of the, the cloud um, applications that's available right now for Microsoft, say, just even if you double click and zoom into just one application in one area, you've got a ton of functionality sitting underneath that and, you know, available services and all sorts of things that be, can be connected into the, into the um, infrastructure. And, and just understanding that and knowing how to bring value to the customer is a full-time job. It's no longer really about the build. It's no longer about the services. It's no, no longer about just the pure deployment. It's really about value realization. So I think that's a great term that you've coined there, knowingly un or unknowingly um, Ed, we got a we got a comment here from uh, from Rollins. So let's just uh, address this comment quickly, guys. Before I address the comment, uh, quick note to our attendees: please ensure you click the link. Uh, Taryn has uh, placed a link in the um, uh, chat box of Zoom uh, for the webinar to be. Uh, it's basically a webinar uh, feedback link. If you could just hit the link that says web webinar feedback, and then we'll go ahead and read every single answer that you submit. It's going to take you less than 30 seconds to complete a survey. And if you would like any kind of follow up, you know, how do you expand your portfolio? What kind of work can you do? Um, what kind of platforms of technology exist out there? Any kind of follow up conversations, uh, just go ahead and click that link and we'll make sure we respond to you. Uh, Roland says the following, companies need to invest in good CRM systems that integrate email and workflows. I can honestly say that using a system like this allows essential monitoring capabilities. When it comes to costs, a lot of these system charge per user, which becomes reachable. I work from home uh, mostly and I would be completely lost without it. Also, there's less micromanaging because everything that we do is open for review by managers. I mean, Rollins deserves a prize for just summarizing, I think, the entire narrative of today's conversation. There's three key points in that answer uh, or in that comment. And the first one being, you know, it's about workflow and more about workflow and less about email. Because once you have the workflow capability in the organization, it becomes trackable, it's manageable, and you can, you can, you can investigate what's going on. And then obviously, um, like he said, there's monitoring capabilities. From a cost point of view, again, it's on a per user basis. So these things are remarkably affordable. I mean, in this idea, this idea that that these ERP systems and and you know things like CRM that it's going to cost a lot of money. That's old fashioned. It's very 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 1999. That think um, it it becomes very affordable. And I think the last point here, it's 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 really um, you know we're working remotely so we need to be able to measure outputs and we really can't be micromanaging how a person is spending his hours you know is he in fact taking any smoke breaks is he in fact taking a bathroom break rather we should be um, you know we should have facilities and systems in place to be able to see what is being produced in an area what are the outputs in an area and that of course is all system driven so fantastic comment there Rollins. Let's go to Rack. We've got a couple of minutes more here, guys. Please make sure you complete your surveys before you leave. Um, so, so Rack, give us some guidance here. As someone who is sitting at the helm of, you know, a very powerful uh, distribution model in our, in our country and continent, um, what should we be expecting from service providers, resellers, partners, technology, trusted advisors? What should we be expecting? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And and I think it sort of leads on from what you were you were covering, you know, just now around, um, you know, what is um, what's the value, you know, that that ultimately, uh, you know, that the customer is going to expect. Um, 
the um, I think the biggest uh, uh, the biggest challenge is around the fact that service providers were probably used to just you know doing the de- the deployments. The deployments took a long time. There was a lot of effort that was put into that. Um, now that's shifted. So what's the value that they add? Well, the value that they add, as you say, is helping that adoption, helping the customers be able to actually utilize the technology that they're going to invest in. So if you're expecting something from your service provider, I think you've got to expect that they have deep expertise in the particular areas, that they can really be a trusted advisor, help guide you, make sure that they, the, the components, you know, as Ed talks about the fact that there's so many things you can bring together to build a solution these days. It's, you know, how, how do you make sure you're getting the value out of those? How to pick the right things, how to advise uh, a customer as to what's going to make a difference for their business and for their environment. So it's not just a cookie cutter, you know, click, download, you've got an ERP system or you've got a CRM system. The download and getting that installed is the easy part. It's how do you make that workflow really work? Because that's going to be relative to a particular business and what they need to do. And it's going to differ by business. And it can be a competitive advantage as well. And so you need people who really understand that to be able to add value to your business. You know, the, the, the install is no longer the value and what you should be expecting. It's can somebody walk on a journey with you that really understands what you're trying to do as a business and then they as a service provider are going to be able to help you a lot more. Yeah, very interesting that. Very, very, very interesting. We got a, we got a question from someone on the Facebook feed and it says, um, is work from home solely the employee's expense or is there any obligation for the employer? Um, I, if I can take that, sorry, and you might want to want to jump in on that as well. I, I think the, I think legally, I don't think there's any clear uh, boundaries so far as I'm aware. Right? I think that um, generally the view is that as an organisation, you will, um, you know, you have to provide the right working environment in an office. But if somebody wants to work from home, then they need to be able to make sure that they have. A productive home environment that allows them to work, um, and I think that's generally been the norm in the past. Some organisations subsidise um, home offices because they actually have proactively looked at it and that they don't want a bigger head office. They actually would like people to work from home, and so they will either, you know, if that person is going to work from home majority of the time, they will subsidise it. Um, I think the obligation around work from home is more that, from a company perspective, is can you provide the right levels of access to the systems? Do they have the right technologies to be able to access what they need to do? And, and it's less an obligation. It's just if you want people to be productive, you kind of have to put that in place. If you don't, uh, you, people can't work from home, then it's kind of pointless allowing them to do so. Ed, do you want to want to add to that? No, I think you've made the, the point well, Rack. Um, I think, of course, I agree with everything that you've said. And, you know, when we talk about obligation, uh, we don't want employees starting to demand new homes from their businesses, right? Uh, if they're going to work from home, so uh, I guess there there is some accountability and there's some realistic things from expectation, and I think it comes down to the work that needs to be done. And so, at the very least, I think you know there needs to be good collaboration, you know, with your organisation in terms of just achieving the work that you need to do. And then, of course, you know, in the context of our discussion. It's about having the right tools from a business perspective, operational perspective, to make sure that you can do the things that you need to do, you know, and you're empowered. I mean, that was that first point that I brought up from a digital transformation perspective. 
Yeah, that's good, guys. That's super cool. All right, guys. So we um, almost on time. I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze in one more uh, question here for Rack. Um, uh, guys who are on the line. Um, and by guys, I'm not referring to males alone. So attendees, um, uh, please feel free to go ahead and click the link and ensure that you submit your feedback so that we have a handle on what you'd like to take next steps on. Uh, we're willing to help and follow up on just about any request. So feel free to just pile those in there. Um, last question for you, Rack, before we wrap. What should customers expect? Ah, that, I'm giving you the wrong question here. Uh, tell me, uh, does it make sense to rate providers on price alone? Um, I suppose the simple answer is definitely not. Look, I know every time I get a proposal, I turn to the back and I look at the price, okay? But I look at the price often around affordability, not as a comparator. It's, it's more, you know, I need to know before we even go into a deep conversation, is this something that I as an organization can afford to do and put in place? Mm. But you can't measure um, service providers on their price alone. You've got to look at the capability and the expertise what you're trying to get delivered. You know, it stands within reasons that everyone has to be competitive, um, but not cheap. Um, very often, you know what it's like, it, 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 you often get what you pay for. So if you go with something cheap, you often get a very poor result. Um, and you need to look at best of breed technologies, and those aren't the cheapest generally around. But they will give you good value to your business yeah that's the way i always look at it. yeah i think that's great advice and very practical very pragmatic very real and i think we all feel that the honesty in your answer we all go to that final page we all want to just see is it within the realm of even having a conversation so that's that you know once again you know you really are speaking a dose of truth there and i think that um it's really about being able to uh, look uh, look beyond the number and also uh, interrogate for return and i think that when we when we measure price in relation to return it becomes a very important conversation in the current context because businesses are in distress these are troubled times and difficult times so we really need to be a lot more return led than perhaps we have been in the past on that uh, note guys i want to say a very sincere thank you to our speakers our expert guests uh, thank you to you both um I'd also like to thank all of you as attendees. Uh, thanks for showing up. Thank you for uh, pouring in uh, the questions and the comments. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to get around to everything, but um, where possible, we will revert to you after the show. And especially if you've completed a, a follow-up survey, you can, you can expect a call. You can expect some kind of follow-up from us. So for sure, uh, we will reach out to you if you've requested. Um, thank you all for attending. Thank you all for making this an awesome show. I really enjoyed the contents. I really enjoyed um, the speakers. Uh, thank you all. And that's a wrap for today.